You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Ransomware hits a second U.S. Midwestern farm co-op. The U.S. House hears from the FBI that Russia seems not to have modified its toleration of privateering gangs, at least yet. A new APT, Famous Sparrow, is described. Our evil seems to have been, surprise, cheating its criminal affiliates. Josh Ray from Accenture with an update on the Hades threat group. Our guest is Tim Eads of V-Armor on the urgent need to update cyber strategies in healthcare. CISA issues a new warning, this one on the Conti ransomware operation. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. Ransomware has hit a second U.S. Midwestern farm cooperative. The Crystal Valley Cooperative disclosed the September 19th attack Tuesday. Since then, its website went offline. The company's Facebook page remains available. The incident has disrupted business operations, notably the co-op's ability to process credit card payments. Early reports don't indicate which strain of ransomware was involved. Iowa's new cooperative was hit by Black Matter last week. It's unknown, Bleeping Computer says, which strain of ransomware hit Mankato-based Crystal Valley. Late this morning, Crystal Lake's site came back up with an update on the ransomware incident. Their brief statement read, in part, quote, This attack has infected the computer systems at Crystal Valley and severely interrupted the daily operations of the company. Crystal Valley and cybersecurity experts are working diligently to reestablish safe and secure operating systems, which will be back online when we are confident the issue has been resolved, end quote. It remains unable to process credit cards, with the exception of local cards. The incident is being taken by much of the early comment in the media to be another instance of a trend. Ransomware gangs, particularly the Russian privateers in the criminal subsector, are determined to either impose their own definitions of critical infrastructure on policymakers and law enforcement, or, more probably, simply to push the U.S. in particular to draw some bright lines. Considering the drawing of lines, U.S. officials this week testified before the House Homeland Security Committee on global threats to the United States. Among the topics under discussion was the extent to which U.S. objections and representations have succeeded in getting Russia to modify its support for the privateering gangs that have been so active in pushing ransomware against U.S. targets. C-SPAN recorded this exchange between Representative Andrew Garbino, a Republican in New York's 2nd District, 
and FBI Director Christopher Wray. The subject of quite a bit of discussion and planning uh, and operational activity these days, uh, there may be more that we could share in a more classified setting. But what I would tell you in this setting is that uh, Russia, the reality is that Russia has a long history of being a safe haven for cyber criminals where the implicit understanding has been that if they avoid going after Russian targets or victims, they can operate with near impunity. And the Russian government has long refused to extradite Russians for cyber crimes against American victims. And, and worse, their Ministry of Foreign Affairs has long been warning its citizens, publicly been warning its citizens, which other countries, which third party countries to avoid, because those countries, they say, will arrest or extradite those Russians uh, back to the United States to face justice for cybercrime. So uh, it's too soon to tell whether any of the things that are underway are having an impact. But in my experience, there is a lot of room, a lot of room for them to show some meaningful progress if they want to on this topic. So Moscow seems not to have been deflected from its longstanding co-optation and use of criminal organizations against its adversaries. That, at any rate, seems to be the received wisdom in Washington. You can listen to the entire hearing on C-SPAN. ESET this morning published its study of a hitherto unremarked cyber espionage advanced persistent threat, probably working on behalf of a nation-state. Which nation-state is unknown, but ESET calls the group Famous Sparrow and says it's been active since 2019. It's recently exploited the proxy logon vulnerability to collect data from hotels. Famous Sparrow used some tools associated with the Chinese APT Sparkling Goblin, but ESET considers them to be distinct groups. Why would spies, actual professional intelligence services, be interested in hotel records? No secrets there, right? Well, there are a few reasons. The first reason, and the less serious but still pervasive one, is that intelligence services are gluttons for information of all kinds, and their appetite grows with the eating. Why would they collect this data? Well, because they can. The more serious reason lies in the quality of the hotel information itself. It's valuable. It can tell a service quite a bit about the individuals who are, for whatever reason, persons of interest. It can be useful in building up what the services call a target dossier. Famous Sparrow will bear watching. Our evil, whose alumni may be operating the Black Matter ransomware, if indeed Black Matter doesn't simply represent a rebranding of the older gang, appears, Threat Post reports, to have been cheating its own criminal affiliates. A backdoor and double-chat functionality enabled our evil to communicate directly with victims, bypassing its affiliates. They could, in effect, cut out the middlemen lower in their multi-level marketing scheme, dealing directly with the victims when it seemed to their advantage to do so. The backdoor and chats have been cleaned out, perhaps as part of a rebranded our evil's attempt to restore its reputation in the criminal-to-criminal marketplace. No one wants to deal with an untrustworthy service provider. Unfortunately, criminals tend to be trustworthy only on shaky, self-interested, and instrumental grounds, but we all knew that. Still, it's worth bearing this in mind when deciding how to credit such criminal claims as we won't act against the common good, or we won't harm individuals, or even we won't damage critical infrastructure. With respect to the last example, 
We've seen at least three times this year that gangland doesn't consider food supply and distribution to be critical infrastructure. Maybe they all grow their own food on a private plot of land, but we doubt it. If our evil was indeed stealing its affiliates blind, that would suggest an additional possible explanation for the gang's decision this summer to go into occultation and rebrand itself. Sure, the Americans are sore at them, but there may be outraged affiliates a lot closer to home who are also pretty angry and possibly less inhibited than the FBI. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, that's CISA, has issued a new warning with the FBI and NSA against Conti ransomware. Conti will exploit common vulnerabilities to gain access to its targets, but most of its infestations can be traced to some variety of social engineering. CISA and its partners in the FBI and NSA recommend certain mitigations. They're familiar best practices, but worth a quick review in any case. Use multi-factor authentication, implement network segmentation and filter traffic, filter network traffic to prohibit ingress and egress communications with known malicious IP addresses, scan for vulnerabilities and keep software updated, upgrade software and operating systems, applications, and firmware on network assets in a timely manner, Consider using a centralized patch management system. Remove unnecessary applications and apply controls. Investigate any unauthorized software, particularly remote desktop or remote monitoring and management software. Implement application allow listing. Implement endpoint and detection response tools. Limit access to resources over the network, especially by restricting RDP. Secure user accounts, regularly audit administrative user accounts, and configure access controls under the principles of least privilege and separation of duties. Regularly audit logs to ensure new accounts are legitimate users. And use the ransomware response checklist in case of infection. This advice is given with reference to Conti, but it's equally applicable to other threats as well. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. 
Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Healthcare systems around the world continue to be strained by the burden of COVID-19, making their resources all the more precious for protection against cyber attacks. Tim Eads is CEO of enterprise security firm VArmor, and I spoke with him on the security challenges facing the healthcare community. So healthcare systems today have been underinvested, I think, from a security perspective over the last decade or so. The level of security investment, if you compare it to a bank, for example, the spending differential is quite large. And so just they, they just didn't have the funds. I mean, the banks have been a target for money for decades. And healthcare now with ransomware, the guns over the last two or three years have been pointed really hard at healthcare. I mean, they're still pointed at banks, obviously. But my, oh, my, the... The vulnerability of the healthcare systems because of uh, the lack of investment um, and the lack of funding has really left them exposed, I think. And so does that leave them in a situation of really having to play catch-up here? Yes, they are having to play catch-up. For sure, they're having to play catch-up. For for sure, they know how to do it. There's enough expertise out there that can help them. And now it's the prioritization of funding for them to do that. But obviously, you're struck here, right? You've got the healthcare systems are incredibly spread very thin from a resources perspective. We're in the middle of a pandemic. They're trying to look after patient care first. And then at the same time, they're being attacked for ransomware. So they are between a rock and a hard place. And it's, it's, a, it's a difficult position for them to be in. And I think it's somewhere that, something that I think security companies need, need to really do a better job of stepping up and helping out and getting flexible, whether it's on payment terms or capabilities or services or whatever it is to, you know, as, as they're dealing with this, you know, this pandemic on one side and the ransomware attacks on the other hand. You know, I, I think it's fair to, to think of uh, healthcare systems, you know, hospitals and so forth as, as critical infrastructure. I mean, should there be a federal response here? Should, should funding be coming from those folks? That's a very good question. Should they be doing more? Should there be a fundamental federal response to helping out the hospitals? On this side, yeah, I, I think that would be a very interesting topic. I mean, you've heard Biden talk about zero trust and everything else. And, you know, with the colonial pipeline ransomware attack, which is, I thought, made everybody more aware, particularly on the East Coast. Like, oh, my God, ransomware is real. And it's really affecting me as the, the taxi driver or as a person that works in the supermarket, whatever else. As that turns, you know, to, to go towards healthcare systems, yeah, I think it would be appropriate that the current administration looks at this as a as critical infrastructure, and does does more. Is there a difference between the haves and the have-nots here? Are, are there healthcare systems who are on top of this and are, 
are doing a good job, you know, contrasted to other systems that may be in more financial dire straits? Yeah, there's certainly uh, the have and the have nots, like all things, you know, there's there's a spectrum here where, you know, the, the top hospitals uh, and, and the top clinics have exceptional security programs, but there's a very long tail, arguably a longer, longer tail than there is in banking. So I just feel feel really sorry for them where they, you know, some of these hospitals that get hit, as I said, they're spread extremely thin on the pandemic. Their budgets have to be poured towards patient care. And at the same time, They've been underinvested in from, from a security perspective for the last decade or so, maybe more than that. For that person out there who is uh, in charge of security for a healthcare organization, do you have any advice, any words of wisdom? I mean, how do they come at this problem? You know, I think the wisdom of the crowd is the most important thing. You know, the, the National Health Isaac organization is a fantastic organization. Errol Wise runs that. And so, you know, I would lean into the Isaac organizations and information sharing organizations, work with their colleagues in other industries, in other, you know, other hospitals, other healthcare providers, and start to look at best practices across it, start to see whether the NH Isaac can actually help. And then I think from there, you will start to steer to, to better wisdom. And then I think they need to negotiate really well and say, look, we need this help. We need the services to help us get this up and running. We need to make sure that uh, we get creative on terms. What's the, the wisdom would be? I would, number one, I would I would go work with the wisdom of the crowd, go to the National Health Isaac, go talk to Errol Wise, who runs that. That would be a great source of income, of knowledge. And then from there, you can turn around and say, what are the right things to do? You know, how is Mayo handling it? How is the, how is the top of the spear organized to secure their assets and their information? and then get the best practices from them, negotiate with the security providers, and demand a better approach to solving the problem. That's Tim Eads from VArmor. I'm pleased to be joined once again by Josh Ray. He is Managing Director and Global Cyber Defense Lead at Accenture Security. Josh, it is always great to have you back. Um, I wanted to check in with you on the Hades Threat Group. I know it's something you and your colleagues have uh, had some focus on here. You've got some new findings to share. What can you uh, share with us today? Yeah, thanks, Dave. I just want to provide a quick update to the community on that research that you mentioned uh, from our CTI and IR teams the profiles of, of, the, of the known victims continue to be consistent of this big game hunting. And the, the target selection and deployment methods is really aimed towards high value payouts. So that's important to remember. And our team has seen firsthand since the discovery of Hades, at least seven new victims across consumer goods and services, uh, insurance and new manufacturing uh, industries. And this is likely, you know, directly a result of their unique approach to kind of victim communication. And they've taken this notion of lone wolf approach. And for those that aren't familiar with that, this lone wolf approach is consistent with what we would normally look at as these ransomware as a service. Hades has taken the exact opposite approach, right? They, they don't appear to be participating in these RAS operations. And our, actually, our, our CTI team um, was able to um, really confirm this because we haven't found any forums or, or marketplaces 
that is supporting that Hades is operating outside of this affiliate-based model. Now, this does not mean that they are not well-resourced in a very credible threat. What are your recommendations for folks to best protect themselves against this group? Yeah, I mean, so there's a few things that have kind of changed, and then I'll kind of provide some some recommendations here. So, you know, one of the things that we've seen is that, you know, there is some consistency as far as overlap and intrusion sets across the known vector, uh, uh, victims. However, you know, there are some unique destructive actions that we've observed, right? So we've seen that uh, targeted uh, that organizations have been, have been targeted in their cloud environments and the destruction of that cloud-based uh, native backups and uh, snapshots. So that's kind of troubling. And we also see that there's a bit of new variant that the Hades group is using. So where before, you know, they were pretty consistent with the, the, the malware variants that they're using, they've now introduced into their arsenal this notion of uh, Phoenix Crypto Locker. And we think this is, you know, possibly to deter uh, attribution claims or even some additional campaign links. When you talk about mitigations, obviously there's the hygiene pieces that you know you need to kind of keep in uh, keep in mind. But I think more more so than ever, organizations absolutely need to have this robust crisis management and incident response plan. They need to make sure they have continuity of operations plan to account for wiper attacks that can spread across the business. Obviously, you know best practices around patching and updating antivirus and things like that. But, you know, we really stress to make sure that our clients have, you know, EDR deployed at least across 90% of their workforce and ensuring things like securing RDP connections, you know, with VPNs and uh, and NLA if you absolutely have to use uh, RDP. Uh, And then, you know, finally, you know, while this is not an exhaustive list, again, moving past that notion of just doing the baseline and moving towards a more proactive security approach, actually start to hunt for attacker TTPs, really to detect um, and respond more effectively to these types of ransomware attacks before they can impact the business. All right. Well, Josh Ray, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.